I V M. Welcome to All Things Policy, a daily podcast by the Takshashila Institution. We are a bunch of policy nerds based in Bengaluru, and we like bringing fresh perspectives to Indian affairs and Indian perspectives to global affairs. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and join us for today's chat. Hello, and welcome to All Things Policy. I'm Manoj Kevalramani, and today I have with me Nishita Suresh and Suresh Desai, and we're going to be talking about the COVID-19 pandemic, but from the point of view of the World Health Organization. And what does the outbreak of this pandemic tell us about what the role was of the World Health Organization? Was there political influence involved? Is multilateral cooperation uh, being effective? Um, essentially, we're going to be looking at how the WHO has fared. Uh, in the initial days and since then, and we'll try and see what we can, what the world can do going forward, given that there has to be some sort of cooperative mechanism. Um, so guys, welcome to the show. Um, you guys have done an op-ed recently, which talks about the fact that the WHO must be partly to blame for this uh, pandemic. Um, Nishita, can you tell us what is the broad argument that you guys are making and why do you feel the WHO is to be blamed? So we basically argue that the WHO uh, didn't come out uh, more earlier than it should have. Uh, about the pandemic, uh, declaring it as a pandemic. And we have jotted down the details or reasons as to, you know, why uh, it did so. So it talks about Tedros' relationship with China and China's influence on WHO on a broader scale. So that's the that's our major uh, argument. So the broad argument is that this was political influence with the Chinese state essentially not wanting to sort of be found out in some way and feeling that they can contain this and therefore leveraging the WHO. So is there anything more that you guys think or is it just about how the Chinese played a role or is this also a failure of the organization itself? Uh, so we argue that states uh, uses international organizations and institutions as a tool or an instrument for forwarding their interests and WHO is no different from all the things that states are doing. Uh, we basically argue with three points. One is the economic power, second is uh, the political influence, and third is pure power, that is uh, the power that is used in international relations. These three factors are important for deciphering why WHO behaved in a certain way that they did, that is not declaring pandemic early. Okay, so one of the points that's clearly come across is that the w, according to you, the WHO did not declare this as a glo- sort of global public health emergency, i.e. a pandemic uh, early on. Uh, I remember that in January, there were meetings at which they basically said there is insufficient evidence now to for the moment for it to be declared a pandemic. In your piece, you argue that uh, by the time the WHO did this in, in March, on March 11th, um, there were already cases around the world. There were about a 118,000 cases uh, and over 4,000 deaths. In January, at what point do you think in your piece you argue that WHO could have actually declared this as a pandemic? And where and how else could it have ensured that the spread of the disease did not take place? Nishita? Okay, so let me break it down first. So the WHO itself categorizes a pandemic into six different phases. So these phases are low risk, high risk, limited human to human transition, high human to human transition, 
significant human to human transition and sustained human to human transition so all of this six phases are divided into uh, three stages which is interpandemic uh, pandemic alert and then pandemic outbreak so when who had already categorized this but it still failed even in january to come up and say that uh, this is an outbreak even when they conducted the uh, uh, emergency meeting on uh, 23rd jan they still did not declare uh, the outbreak as a public emergency either they continued to keep quiet so by this time the cases had already risen to a very high number and it spread to uh, more than i think 25 to uh, 30 countries so that questions what the who was trying to hide or uh, they were just you know waiting for china signal to go ahead as to when to declare it as a pandemic uh, so manoj we have to trace a history a trace history a bit for understanding what went wrong so uh, from what we know right now cases emerged in december china went into lockdown on 24th or 25th of uh, january this was the time just during or after chinese new year so chinese new year was on 25th of january we argue that who should have declared it as a public health emergency forget pandemic but public health emergency one week before the chinese new year because we know that lot of people travel in and out of china during the chinese new year from the limited data that we have right now it is argued that 5 million people have traveled in and out of wuhan during the chinese new year before the uh public health emergency was declared uh to be precise public health emergency was declared on 31st or 38th of january two days before declaring the public health emergency uh dr tredos who is the head of the who world health organization met xi jinping uh and after declaring public health emergency he praised china's efforts for uh handling of the crisis this is despite the report of hiding cases by ccp which have come out now so we argue that if they have if they would have declared uh, the public health emergency uh, one week before chinese new year at least some other countries would have locked down uh, would have stopped the flow of passengers stopped the flow of people across states which which would have been helpful for uh, helpful for stopping the spread because as we know from uh, evid- at, at least anecdotal evidences prove that the early spread is due to international travel okay so essentially the idea is that the who had essentially said that countries should go ahead and lock down should go and at least cancel international travel to and fro from china much earlier um it would have had an impact in terms of the spread of the disease internationally um but then again the who is going to act on the information that they get from the member state and uh, as the chinese have just published uh, a long long document which talks about how they have been quote unquote transparent about everything mm-hmm. um and they say that uh, on january 5th is the first time that they informed the who about the outbreaks uh, and subsequently um, in sort of early january uh the who sends a team to china and they sort of and the chinese essentially regularly inform the who according to that document uh, and the who subsequently and the document makes it very clear that every time the the who receives information from the chinese uh chinese authorities that's when they sort of put out a statement saying well this is what we now know um and they also according to the document there is also a who team that goes in uh to china 
in before the actual lockdown happens uh, and it assesses the situation and some of the criticism of the who that's come out is also the fact that i think at the 14th or 15th of january they actually criticized countries who were doing who were putting travel bans in place because the americans if i recall uh, trump administration actually quite early on announced a ban saying that they will sort of uh, ask people no longer to travel to and from china um and the, there was a lot of criticism even from the chinese foreign ministry and the who of countries doing this so the big question is this why would the who do this or as suresh like you pointed out uh, that uh, states use international institutions to further their interests how would this be what was china's interest in firstly manipulating this information if it actually has done so and secondly on what were the ways in which it sort of uh, manipulated let's say or at least gave wrong for information or used the who and how the who was complicit in all of this what's your view on that uh, nishita can i start with you yeah uh, i think there are a couple of uh, reasons to this so one if we look at is the elections of dr tedros itself to the who there was much uh, you know uh, backlash from the us when the elect- when uh, this was he was going to be elected but china and some of the other countries supported him and that's how he got elected so that was a first step into i think uh, china's hold of the who in itself and then um, very recently um, because of the one belt one road initiative china um, you know almost kind of boasted its takeover of the who so in 2017 it signed an agreement uh, with the who where um, it was basically to improve people's well-being around the world uh, so the communist party pledged almost 8.8 billion to the developing countries uh, with uh, who's uh, agreement with it so they feel like they have a, a bigger hold on um, china right now and uh, tedros um, has also you know initiated and made sure that he has been um, he's okay with all these agreements so he has uh, given china more power than uh, to the us all right okay so there is a belt and road fund which is sort of lucrative and then there is obviously the election of dr tedros himself in which you said the chinese played an important role so yeah any more anything more to add to that how else did china sort of play a role in all of this yes just a one one point before i uh, talk about this uh, manoj you mentioned about the document but if i remember clearly uh, who officers were not allowed to go to wuhan uh, in the early stages of the breakout initially there was a complaint that they were kept in beijing and later on they were allowed i don't know whether they were allowed to go into wuhan or not so just let me just clarify on that this is what the chinese document says they said that Mm-hmm. uh delegations from hong kong macau and uh, and taiwan visited wuhan on january 14th on mm-hmm. the who it says that the who published a statement on its official website on january 20th 21st it said that a delegation from the who had conducted a field visit to wuhan to learn about uh, covid 2019 they had visited the wuhan tianhe airport uh, chongnan hospital hubei provincial cdc this is Uh, formally from what the chinese are saying right so just to sort of put out exactly what they are saying um uh, i don't we'll have to obviously verify these claims but this is what the chinese are claiming and they are saying that the who says this in a statement on their website so we can check that or our listeners can actually go and check that on who's website yes yeah, so sorry continue yes uh so about what has uh, inspired who who to do so right uh if you look if you look at the funding of who like all international organizations uh it's majorly funded by states and us because it's one of it's the leading power in the world 
it's a major funder to all the states. But in past 20 years, China's funding to all multilateral institutions, international organizations have increased. And WHO is no exception to this. Now, there are two types of funding in WHO. One is the regular program budget funding and one is the voluntary funding. So China is one of a major player in both these funds. Though the funds are not comparison to how much US pays, but it is increasing constantly. And in voluntary funding, it has gone up by 52% since 2014. And the nature of international organization is such that it is completely based on funds. They don't have their own capacity to generate funds or own capacity to have their own uh, um, military. For example, United Nations, it has to depend, it has, it is dependent on uh, sovereign nations, military forces for peacekeeping operations. So similarly, these two are very dependent criteria for uh, international organizations. And due to this, state exploits international organizations. So has WHO been exploited by China due to the funding. One of the reasons being funding, second being elections, which Nishita has already mentioned. Okay, so uh, we've sort of established that the WHO played a role which was deeply problematic and which should be investigated, and although it depends on who will investigate this and whether there is any investigation possible. But let's look at why was this in China's interest uh, to uh, not contain, right? Uh, uh, the idea that what was the interest that China was looking to serve by uh, getting this information out in a way which sort of eventually has caused greater problems for the world at large and also for the Chinese in some way, right? So I just wanted some thoughts on that. Okay, so hiding facts essentially, if everything was exposed up front, then it would have been immediately a concern. So as, as we know, in case of China, it's a legitimate risk to the existence of CCP, right? It has to deal with CCP. Uh, which is their foremost interest. If it came out up front that CCP has had mismanaged uh, the outbreak, then people might get angry over, about CCP, which is which has happened later on. So the best practice that they thought, I think, was to hide information, uh, which also hide information from people, hide information from international organizations. And that's, that is what result, the major criticism is that hiding of information has resulted into this uh, blowing out of proportion of pandemic. My last question in all of this is going to be essentially this, that we do need some degree of, I mean, obviously the WHO has proven to be, uh, has proven to fail, uh, proven to have failed in this case, uh, in whichever way one can th- imagine. Yet, uh, one does need, I mean, this crisis has shown that you do need some sort of a global cooperative agency through which sort of global public health uh, sort of can be managed in some way, or at least through which countries can cooperate. Um, Are we going to see some sort of, I mean, is it possible to do some sort of a reform of this or or is your sense that increasingly because of the way countries have responded to this, which is essentially taking care of themselves first and not looking at sort of global situation and, you know, International cooperation basically come under strain. Mm-hmm. So do we see sort of the future of international institutions like WHO uh, negatively going forward? Or do we see that, you know, there's a sense that once things settle down a little bit, countries are going to talk about how do we revamp this? Or do we see more of more of the case of like what when Donald Trump says that we fund them the most and, you know, uh, that yet they are doing China's bidding. 
uh, and Trump actually called the WHO China-centric. So do we see this sort of changing in terms of international organizations being undermined completely? Or do we see uh, some sort of a collaborative mechanism going forward in the future? Okay, I'll use WHO as a peg for a larger question that you are trying to address. WHO and other organizations, especially United Nations, it is a major criticism since the rise of Japan, Germany, China, that these organizations should be reformed. And these reforming of this organization is basically funding of this organization and the powers in which the states fund to these organizations. This is also in case of IMF, World Bank. So more and more funds, so I'll simplify it, more and more funds are given by Germany, Japan, China, India as well. But powers are still with a certain set of countries. So all these organizations should reform as in more equitable distribution of power. Otherwise, if that, depending upon how they are funding, initially US was funding all of them, China is now funding second number, so the, it has most power. But as more funding rises, the equitable distribution of votes in these organizations, including WHO, and duties. So votes is equivalent to duties in these organizations, certain areas which a certain country can function. The duties and rights would be balanced out and this would be a change which uh, would lead to a better future. But this is utopian on textbook. We are, we as in the developing countries are demanding for reform of the international institutional systems since 1990s. But there has been no process. The dominant powers are, are not ready to give up. And this has caused a great deal of harm to all these institutions over the years. And WHO is no exception to this. China's power is slowly increasing, but US is still very much dominant into it. And uh, the, the way we fund WHO, basically the funding mechanism should change. Uh, certain funds should be, this is my argument, certain funds should be, this is not a universal argument, certain funds should be made more, uh, certain mandatory funds should increase over voluntary funds which would give and the power or the voting status should be attached to mandatory funds, which would give them more equitable distribution of power. The manifestation of power would be equitable then. But this is again impractical textbook approach. Practically, those who pay more will have more uh, more uh, power in these organizations. And therefore, the realist arguments stand that these are essentially tools to forward their interest. And states are using them since a very long time. All right. Uh, with that, uh, thank you so much, Suyash and Nishita. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts. Um, there's, in there's indeed lots of food for thought here. Um, the world needs mechanisms for international collaboration on issues of public health. Um, but what does one do when such mechanisms become deeply politicized, when funding becomes an issue, and when it becomes a matter of power politics and states furthering their own interests, as opposed to uh, proper global accountability of these organizations. Um, there has to be a lot of reimagination uh, of all of this in the post-COVID world. Thank you so much, guys. And thank you for listening. If you liked our show, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM network. You can tune into them on the IVM podcast app, ivmpodcast.com, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow IVM on social media. The handle is at ivmpodcasts on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And hey, if you'd like to dive into Takshashila's research on technology, strategy and economic affairs, check us out at our Twitter handle at takshashilainst or our website takshashila.org.in.